in 1 Peter as we go into our Living Hope series on the book of 1 Peter. And what set the tone of my week was I attended two different funeral services for kids who had lost their life, not this last week, but the week before. Uh, Both we had connections with through Renaissance Alternative High School, and uh, and so that was you know a hard experience to have to go to both of those and get to go to both of those, and and going to to not only one but two gives you a sense of of seriousness and a sense of recklessness. To, and, I, and I'm grateful for it because what we're going to be sharing today with is the title of the sermon is Living as Strangers, as, Paul, as Peter opens up this book, and, and as I'll read, he immediately calls them foreigners or strangers here on earth. And, and the way he describes that um, isn't necessarily an easy teaching. It's one that, that we often skirt around called election, and so... As we deal with that today, I'm, I'm really I'm grateful for my experiences this last week, and I hope that you guys will share with me the seriousness of it, and, and uh, as we enter, and, and Paul later, or sorry, Peter later on asks us, he says, to consider what he's teaching us uh, with a sober mind, and so uh, that kind of goes against our culture of entertainment, but I hope, I hope today that you guys will will just kind of sit with me in these passages and, and hear what, what God is telling us from his perspective. Because I think we oftentimes miss some of the harder teachings because we try to reach them from our own perspective. So pray with me and then we'll get started. Oh, Father, I pray by your, by your will that, that we will hear this morning your word that that we will surrender our wills to you to be able to worship you acknowledge your your lordship over not only our own lives but but everything and begin seeing not only history but the whole world and the whole universe as being created by you and, and made to acknowledge you as God. It's such a huge task, and it can only be done, God, if you just bless us by your Spirit and give us understanding. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so two weeks ago, as we entered First Peter for the first time, we, I just talked about Peter's perspective, what brought him to the point of being able to write a book, what brought a fisherman to the point of being the lead pastor, basically, of the Christian movement. So what caused a man who worked with his hands to be a person that preached mightily with his mouth? And it was because he had encountered the living Christ, not an idea of the living Christ, but actually the living person of Jesus Christ. And that had transformed him. And so as, as he had had that experience, now Peter is riding the church in modern-day Turkey, right, Bithynia. 
And this is what he, he enters into the letter by saying. He says, this letter, if you're in 1 Peter, is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So he's writing them a letter to encourage them. He hasn't met them before. But the reason why he's writing them is because just as much as he realizes, and they think he's writing from Rome, they're not really sure, but just as as much as he realizes that wherever he is on this earth, that he is a foreigner because he's met the man Jesus, and Jesus told him, okay, I'm going to prepare a place for you. (laughs) right? And so ever since Peter heard that, he's like, this is great, but there's more. Okay, and so he has this, this passion not only to tell people, but I think that passion's coming from this desire um, to be again with the living Jesus as he's kind of waiting. Um, and so he knows that a church has been planted and somewhere else it's like if, if Zach and, and Nate were to write home, right? And they're like, you know, I encourage you guys as foreigners in your... It's not because they're necessarily strangers in that area, but it's because they have so attached themselves to the living person of Jesus Christ that until they reunite with him someday, they just, they feel, they have a longing. Um, they have almost a lostness about them. It's not because the food they eat or the clothes they wear are different from those around them, but in their heart, they know that that they just want to be with him again. Um, and so that's why, that's why Peter's writing them. I think this is expressed well in Hebrews 11. I'll give you kind of a taste of this. As Abraham in the Old Testament was called out of his home and, and he left his home, and this is what it says. Wherever he was, it says, he looked forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Right? He knew that... He, even if he planted somewhere, that he was still a foreigner there because he was looking forward to a city whose, with NIV says, architect and builder was God himself. Okay, so this is when it gets difficult. I know it's kind of difficult already because we're dealing with a lot of things that aren't necessarily visible immediately to us. Um, But the difficulty for us is this. That Paul is talking, Peter, Peter is talking to a, a select group of people. So he's not just writing to everyone, he's, he's writing to a select group of people whose citizenship is in heaven. And while many of us here claim that our citizenship also is in heaven, it remains a huge struggle for us because all our actions, all our thoughts, all our desire, all our pursuits are invested as if our citizenship is of the earth. And so while, while we, we want to love what Peter loves, I don't think we necessarily get it immediately. 
Um, and I was thinking about this, actually, it's funny you guys mentioned homeschool co-op, because immediately what I thought about was, was when I, I was homeschooled till I was in ninth grade, went to school, and, and there was this really interesting interaction where I went to school, and, and so much of it was foreign to me. I mean, I was the same age as the kids. I, you know, for the most part, looked like the kids. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a bowl cut at that time in my life. And, and yet so much was different. Honestly, to this day, I have a really hard time doing locker combinations. I was just never taught growing up. And so it was like really all those things, you know, it just was really humbling to me because I had to go and figure it all out and constantly asking like some stranger to undo my locker. You know, and then you go to the lunchroom, and this is interesting. I've shared this story with you guys a few times, maybe different individuals. That, so I went, and there's this, the cafeteria is still kind of an intimidating place. I go into schools every week now, and still is a little intimidating. But I went in, and I had my Bob's Red Meal lunch sack. And, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily, didn't necessarily make me fit in. You know, when everyone else had Pop-Tarts and Hot Pockets, and, and I thought that was really cool. And, and this one day, I, I had this sandwich, and it was... Come to find out it was chicken salad, but I didn't know what chicken salad was. And I went home that day and I was like, Mom, I'm already not cool. I didn't tell her that, but I was like, and, and you know, what is this? <laughs> like, who does this? Chop up chicken, put mayonnaise into it. You know, I was just like appalled. She's like, no, people actually do that. They, but you know, I was so concerned with, with what being normal Right? The feeling of normalcy is something that, that we really we, we want to own. And so it's very hard for us as we are called to be citizens of heaven, yet we work so hard, I think, still at being citizens of the earth and, being, and fitting in and what that means and, and what that looks like if we're Christians. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how, the, the, as Peter introduces it, what a God-centered gospel is and how that works according to the Bible. And then I'm going to show you how we try to make it work, which ends up being a man-centered gospel. And, and so we're just going to r- wrestle through these, these two things together. And I, and I hope it gives you a much bigger understanding of who God is um, and a much greater appreciation and ability to worship him and say, yes, I, I want to I be a citizen of heaven. Because, you know, it was, it's foolish looking back for me to think that I wanted so much to be a part of what else was going on in the ca- cafeteria at school, right? <laughs> I'd come from a loving family, I'd come from, I, and I'd been, I'd been raised so well with with affection in the home, and, and yet when I went to school, it, it, was, it was silly, and you know, looking back, I'm like, it was silly for me to want what they had, it was silly for me to want Hot Pockets, right? <laughs> I should have wanted to have homemade food, but it's the same thing as we look now. So much of us, we want what the world has to offer, right? We still are there. We're still at the point of saying, I want that. And so what will, what will transform our appreciation so we say, yes, God, I want to worship you more than anything that the world has to offer. Does that make sense as we begin? Okay. So, so God-centered gospel is this. 
That God, this is reading from verse 2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a God-centered gospel and it's very hard for us to understand because of this. Because the God-centered gospel begins that the Father knew you and chose you. And a man-centered gospel begins like this. That God has made an offer of salvation, and whenever I'm ready, I can accept it. Right? Some of you guys might be like, I don't see a big difference. But there's a huge difference. The beginning with God knowing and God choosing, and God offering, and us, whenever we're ready, choosing. Okay, what the, the Father knowing, what Peter's describing here, what the Father knowing and the Father choosing, this is called, uh, in Christian teaching, it's called election. And actually, if you read the King James Version, it says, God foreknew and elected you. Okay? So, if this was not a biblical teaching, I wouldn't teach it. Okay? Election isn't something that I would want to come up with from my own bent towards man-centered gospel. Does that make sense? So if, if I was to, to write the story of salvation and how it works, I would write a man-centered gospel that says, well, thanks for the offer. I'm kind of, you know, I haven't decided yet. Just, you know, give me time. And then, and then whenever I'm ready, I'll choose. Okay, that, that is the gospel that I would come up with. Instead, we have this idea of, of election which means that God selects and he chooses. And we're going to look at three verses here. There's plenty more, but um, Romans 8, 29 through 30. You guys can turn there if you'd like. Romans 8, 29 through 30. This is what it says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Okay, Romans nine fifteen through 16, just the next chapter. Actually, let's start in 14 and we'll go to 16. It says, Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. Okay, turn with me to Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. This is what it says, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 
So the idea of election <laughs> brings God great pleasure. So election is this, that God chose a people out of all people, all people who were fully and thoroughly corrupt, to worship him as God. Okay. I'm sure you guys really want to know what this means for us. So this is what it means. I, first, I'm going I'm to talk about this in the way of what it looks like in our lives. And I'm going to use a story that, that was really helpful for me when I was nearing the end of my college. And actually, I was, I was going through these experiences in my life. And, and I was reading the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and I, I read this portion, and I just started bawling. Because I was like, that's it. This is it. And this is what happens. So you have, it's in the book Prince Caspian. And, and Aslan has shown himself to Lucy. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. Aslan is this big lion. And, and he shows himself to Lucy. No one else can see him. And so when she says, let's follow him, everyone else says what? No way. Of course he'd show, no, of course. I'd see him too. Of course, we're not going to follow him. Okay, so they don't. Later that night, he wakes her up. She follows him, comes to him, and he says this. He says, Lucy, you have work in hand, and much time has been lost today. Yes, wasn't it a shame, said Lucy. I saw you all right. They wouldn't believe me. They were all so... And from somewhere deep inside Aslan's body, there came the faintest suggestion of a growl. I'm sorry, said Lucy who understood some of his moods. I didn't mean to start slaying the others or insulting the others, but it wasn't my fault anyway, was it? And Aslan just looks at her. She says, oh, Aslan, you don't mean it. How could I? I couldn't have left the others and come to you alone. How could I? Don't look at me like that. Oh, well, I suppose I could. Yes, and I wouldn't have been alone. I know not if I was with you, but what would have been the good? Aslan said nothing. You mean, said Lucy rather faintly, that it would, have been, it would have turned out all right somehow? But how? Please, Aslan, am I not to know? To know what would have happened, child, said Aslan. Nobody is ever told that. Oh dear, said Lucy. But anyone can find out what will happen, said Aslan. If you go back to the others now and wake them up and tell them you have seen me again, and that you must all get up at once and follow me. What will happen? There is only one way to find out. Do you mean that is what you want me to do, gasped Lucy? Yes, little one, said Aslan. Will the others see you too, asked Lucy? Certainly not at first, said Aslan. Later on, it depends. But they won't believe me, said Lucy. It doesn't matter, said Aslan. Oh dear, said Lucy. I was so pleased at finding you again and thought you'd let me stay and I thought you'd come roaring and frighten all the enemies away like last time and now everything is going to be horrid. It is hard for you, little one, said Aslan, but things never happen the same way twice. It has been hard for us all in Narnia before. Lucy buried her head in his mane, but there must have been magic in the mane. She could feel the lion's strength going into her. Quite suddenly she sat up and said, I'm sorry, I'm ready now. And he said, now you are a lioness, and now all Narnia will be renewed. But come, we have no time to lose. And so I, when I read this, 
you're following it, if, when I read this, I was so I was so challenged by it because because here she is, and, and God is calling her. Right? Is is you have this picture of Aslan being Jesus, and then and He's calling her, and and yet no one else is seeing, and so she's like, "How could I go? Right? How could I go?" And what Aslan tells her, and this is it, this is, and this is right, I think, and this is scripturally right, is that he's telling her, just follow me, okay? Go back and tell the others, and you follow me. Okay, so I think why election has become so difficult for us is because we feel this longing for Jesus. And I think those who are most sensitive to the doctrine of election, I feel this longing for Jesus, and they're like, but what about these people, Right? And the beautiful thing about Romans 9, which talks about election, is it says the Holy Spirit in Paul is grieving for those people. Right? But you who, you who hear the call, follow. The reason why the doctrine is, of election is so hard for us is this. is because we develop... A, a man-centered gospel from what we can perceive or what we can achieve um, or what we can understand, right? So we're not seeing the way things are working from God's perspective. We're seeing the way things could work from our perspective. So in the man-centered gospel, God offers and we're ready to receive because of this. Because God has a desire that all should be saved, and we say amen, that's scriptural. But then we have a desire, and our desire, because we know it and we feel it so strongly, then trumps God's desire. Right? So we're like, <laughs> well, I, God, I know what you want from me, but I desire so much this that, that you will just not do anything until I make that step. God, you'll just... You'll just Bend to, and so what happens? And so, who has the power in the relationship? In the man-centered gospel, we have the power in the relationship. We're playing red light, green light with God. Have you guys ever played that game? And we're like, red light, and everyone stops, and green light, everyone runs. And we pretend like that's how God does it. They were like, green light, and God's like, woo! We're like, red light, stop! Like, I'm going to do my own thing for a little while, and then like, green light, and God can like, do some more, and... That is the man-centered gospel. And so we're constantly, we feel like we're playing with God's emotion and, and really our emotions are getting played with. And God isn't God. God's just this like, this suitor that we're, we're like, every once in a while we're going on dates with him, but then, you know, when we don't feel like it, we don't. So our desire is stronger than God's desire. The problem with the man-centered gospel is this that when we're given the power, that we are not responsible with the power that is endowed to us. And so we do have this, this good understanding that, that God has made us to have a relationship with us, but we don't understand inherently that we're broken in our ability to have relationships. And so we, we live with this, this understanding that isn't biblical at all of like yin and yang, like because in everybody, there's a little bit of light and there's a little bit of dark, and we're just hoping that the light will eventually win over the dark, and so then we'll come to Jesus. That's not right. 
right? It's not that like there's a little spark in you that you're just like waiting to overcome the dark and so then you'll make the decision to love Jesus. Right? What, are you, what are you waiting for? If we're waiting for our own timing, our own timing is not good <laughs> and is not right. The other thing that that is an inherent weakness of a man-centered gospel, is this, that it, it gives you the ability to judge those that are around you. It gives you the ability to judge others that are around you because of this. Because the person who's doing well is doing well. Why? Well, because they're just better than you. <laughs> and the person that's not doing well is doing worse. Why? Because they're just worse than you, right? Somehow you, you pulled through and you're doing better than they are, right? And when, when, the, when the, the power is given to us to, to in the man-centered gospel, to, to play with God like we do, this is what it looks like. I had this interaction with somebody a little while back where they'd done something that was very, very disrespectful to me. They'd, and... And they'd come in, and, and I said, Are you, have you come in to talk? I'm, I'm willing to talk with you about this. And they said, no. I said, well, you, you, can't, you can't be here then. Because this is, you know, you have to, you have to respect us if you're going to be here. And they said, okay, well, I guess I'll just leave then. I said, okay. But I said, I, I would love to talk to you. I'm willing to talk to you when you're ready. And he goes, <laughs> He says this. He goes, no, we're good. We're good. I said, no, we're not good. So the fact is that, that what you did hurt our relationship. And I, I'm not going to pretend like it didn't happen. Like, I mean, the person like coming and yelling at me, I was like, like, we have to figure this out. And yet, in the man-centered gospel, that's what we pretend like we're in relationship with God. And this is what we hear all the time. Well, God understands, right? I mean, God understands where I'm at. Right? It's okay. We're cool. Like God, God, I mean, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll accept it, right? I mean, God understands. What that means for us when we say it that way is that I'm just throwing out all that I can understand and I'm not at all trying to see it from the perspective of God who is holy, created the world and everything in it, is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, is all-powerful, and is asking people to worship him. And what's keeping us from worshiping is this, is that we spend most of our lives wrestling with the fact that we feel like we should worship God. Get this, that we should worship God, but think continually that I think that we sometimes are more worthy of that than God is. Right? We're more worthy of, of our time or, or what we consider valuable. And, and so we don't respond. And so, so I've laid this whole crazy framework to say this. To say that we're desperately needy of a God who will know us and choose us, Right? That, that people don't get into heaven because they, it's just like the, the guys who volunteer, like, who wants to go to heaven? Like, well, me. And that is, is a hard teaching, right? 
but the, the, those that are chosen are those that, says that, <laughs> that are given the gift. Right? And this is, we're going we're gonna to talk, we're going to be working through this right? as, as we get along these next steps. But, but we have to understand this, I think, because we have to understand that God is worthy of so much more than we give him. Right? So much more than we negotiate with him oftentimes. Right? Salvation isn't about negotiation between God and men, God and women. Right? It's not about this, this dance that we play with him where it's like eventually like I think we play with him so much because we pretend like he's just this this infinitely holding out his hand and and you can just do whatever you want. And that's, that isn't at all what's presented in the Bible. And that's why people wrestle so much with this, this God who, who's looking and saying, no, worship me. You'll have no other gods before me. <laughs> A God who would say that. Because we are so content with, with playing negotiation with him. Um, and it doesn't work like that. So how this works is, as you see, in this God-centered view, every, every single part of the Trinity having a, having a role, right? And where, where our view, it's just like, well, God's doing this. You know, I, I don't know God's doing it somehow. Where in his, it's the Father knows, the Father chooses, and what? And it says, and then the Spirit makes holy. So it's the second step, the Spirit's making holy. What does that mean? It means that the Spirit is opening the hearts of people, penetrating the hearts of people to, to have a desire for him. Right? And so this is as, as we present the gospel and we do to all men saying, for all you who hear and you, you see God and you're like, God, I've just treated you so wrong. Um, for such a long time, and, and I, and I want to say this, and I, I'm okay with this Sunday being like a lot of hard things because I went to these memorial services and, and the whole time it was like worshiping these people, right? Like they had done nothing wrong. And I don't, if I die tonight, I want you guys to know I've done a lot of things that are wrong, okay? I don't, I don't want you guys to like have a memorial service on Saturday and be like, he was just an angel. Like, I don't remember him ever saying anything bad, I could say something bad right now, just so you know. <laughs> I won't. But, right, <laughs> I want you guys to know that it is by grace I have been saved. And that's it. Right? I mean, I know probably a lot of you guys think I'm, like, inherently righteous, but I'm not. <laughs> Seriously. But here are these people, and these kids that that I know haven't lived upstanding lives their whole lives, right? And people are like, every time they entered, I just felt God. And, you're, and it was like, ah, what are we doing? Is this helpful? And it's, it's not helpful, okay? And the, because that's the, this man-centered gospel where we're like holding on so much to what I can do. And the, and the Bible is constantly telling us, you can't do that, Right? No man on his own strength can approach God. 
And that's what the Bible's telling us. And we have to get in this, this place where we are humbled to the point of crying out and being like, God, I, I am not worthy. And I think election is so helpful in bringing us to that point. Man, if, if your heart is always broken by the fact that you cannot, on your own strength, get into a relationship with God, praise God, okay? And plead the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, because what is happening, if, if you are so moved to say, man, I, I know, I know that I'm not worthy. That is this work of the Holy Spirit, where he is opening the heart, right? As the Spirit is making you holy, setting you apart, so you can actually worship him and stop worshiping yourself, right? Or worshiping your peers or whatever's around you. It means you're marked and set apart. I thought that about this in relationship, if, if you've ever... Um, you know, and pick up basketball, and everyone gets chosen. Have you ever seen it where, where the teams are chosen, and, you know, it's such a big deal, like, you want to get picked first. And, and it goes through, and then they're like, okay, you know, Daniel, come. And, and so I'm going, I'm like, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You know, it's like, no, that's not the way it works. Right? But, but somehow we get this mixed up with, with God. Um, so as, as it says, the Holy Spirit is setting people apart. This will incite us to worship me and God, thank you. I, I am not worthy and I know that. So he made us ready. He makes us ready then to be citizens of heaven. We need to be made ready to be citizens of heaven. Right, we need to be prepared for what we're going to see, what we're going to love, what we're going to experience. The man-centered gospel, and opposed to the Spirit making us holy, says this, I'm holy only to the extent that I do certain things. Right? Okay. So the man-centered gospel that moves from this, I can choose God whenever I want, says I'm holy to the extent that I'm choosing the right things. <laughs> So we set up a list of rules and laws to follow. If you do these things, then you're holy. And the more you do them, the more you're like God. The more you're holy. So I, am, I increase my holiness according to my own ability to increase my holiness. And so if I fail on any of these accounts, I'm extremely negative towards myself. Because why? Because I just can't be holy. I try so hard, but I can't be holy. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> right? Praise God that that's not the gospel, right? That, that the more I do, the better I do it, the more I'm holy. That isn't, that isn't what makes you a citizen of heaven. The citizens of heaven aren't just because you've made stronger rules than everyone else or better rules or more severe rules and you've been able to keep them better. Right? That isn't the gospel. And so if that's the gospel that you're following, because you've started with this man-centered gospel that says, I, God's just waiting for me and eventually I'll choose, but that choosing was according to my own strength and then the rules that I'm following are according to my own strength too. And so gradually in my Christian walk, I'm getting more and more and more exhausted. I'm getting exhausted. Why? Because I just can't be holy. 
I don't know why. I'm struggling so much. I just want to do the right thing, but I can't do the right thing. And that's a man-centered gospel. That's not it. The Spirit makes us holy. It's a beautiful thing because after all this, guys, and this is cool, as it leads you from the Father choosing, the Spirit making holy, and then the Son, what happens? Then we obey. Do you guys get this? <laughs> so there's participation still. And so you get to 1 Peter, and this is what it says. It says, And as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So even here, there is a participation. Okay? So in election, there is massive participation. But at this point, participation is a joy. Why is it a joy? (laughs) Because, because man, I'm not doing it by myself. I'm in partnership with God. He's... He's made me a, a son or a daughter. And so, and so my, part, my part in the family isn't simply because I've followed rules, but it's because he's been doing a work in my life. Right? And that's extremely different. Um, so the result is obedience, being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And that's a good thing, that you're cleansed not because, and there's, I was thinking about using another Narnia reference. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when, when Eustace has that bracelet on, and he's like trying so hard to claw away the dragon scales that he has on him, and then Aslan just comes and wipes it all away. Right? And it's like that for us. If you're not familiar with it, it's like us trying to scrub so much, being like, I, because we followed this man-centered gospel that says, okay, eventually... Eventually I'll choose, and then I'm going to choose and follow my own strength. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to keep these rules and keep them by my own strength, and eventually I'll feel clean. But then if I make a mistake, because it was my fault, because I didn't have the power to keep those rules, I'm dirty again. Man, and that devastates us if we follow that gospel. So what's happening is, is we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus and we have the ability to obey him. The man-centered gospel says this, you are a Christian to the extent that you can, by your own faith, hold on. Hold on to the rules and follow them. Which gives us tremendous inconsistency. In Christ, it says in Hebrews 6, It says that we have an anchor for our souls. And so I want us to understand this as we wrap up here. That this is is the hope of a Christian. Um, Those that have, have heard the call, and the call is general. It says, the call is come. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me all you who are thirsty and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And that call is a call that everyone hears, that we want everyone to hear. Um, If you are thirsty, (laughs) come. Jesus is calling, come. So I want you to think, if you're a believer, to think, and this is, I think this can help clarify some for us. If you're a believer, think about what what brought you to the point of being able to say, God, I, I want to worship you. And not that that made it easier necessarily, 
um, to live in a world and be a citizen of heaven. Because there's still so much of those decisions that need to be made. Um, right? Think of your, what we call a testimony. Right? I've never heard someone's testimony that didn't sound a whole lot like election. Right? Everyone's testimony sounds something like this. They're like, honestly, I was just like doing my own thing. And then I was like, <laughs> convicted. You know, and it's, it's, there's so many different ways that looks, you know, I, people that were like, I was walking, and then all of a sudden, I knew I needed Jesus. Some people are like, well, I, you know, I'd heard it my whole life, and I'd rebelled against it, and all of a sudden, I realized I just couldn't do it anymore. Like, I couldn't do it by myself, right? And so what would you attribute that to? Would you attribute that to, I don't know, that you just were brighter than the next guy? <laughs> no. No, it's not just because you're brighter than the next guy or next girl. Um, but because, because the, the bridegroom is calling a bride. Right? Because Jesus is calling a people to be holy and set apart for himself that will worship him in spirit and in truth and be a people that go into all the world, all the world, right? Proclaiming the good news. So my encouragement to you guys as we go from here is this. Um, as, as we go through, and I, and I hope you understand each of the steps, but then at the end, the obedience is so important. Um, there's a quote that I read this morning, and this, this helped me tremendously. It says, God speaks to... This is Eric Liddell, who is a man who lived so faithfully. Uh, movie Chariots of Fire, part of it's about him. He was a runner, ended up winning the gold medal, going to China. Um, dying in a concentration camp there as a missionary. Um, and this is what he writes in a little devotional. Uh, he says, God speaks to people through moral law. I, and I agree that is one of the ways he speaks to us. If we break these laws and excuse ourselves from doing so, the presence and guidance of God lose their reality in our lives. The freedom and radiance of the Christian life depart. And you guys might wonder, like, why, why are we concluding here? And, and this is why. Because... I think so much of us who, who are citizens of heaven, um, I think we struggle because we, there's so much lure still to the world. And, and this helped me because sometimes my taste for heaven gets so dull. Um, and I'll say this, especially the times when I, I sin and I sin on purpose, Right? Knowing, okay, I shouldn't do something, but I do it anyway. And I do that. And, and I will, I'm completely honest with you that days after that, my sense of heaven is so dull. Right? <laughs> that that like, I, I, I miss, <laughs> in some ways, the nearness of it. As I... And so I hope that, that we together can understand that, that as, we, as we look forward to heaven, that those decisions are still needing to be made because some of us, our sense is so dull, our taste for eternity is so dull um, that we live almost 
only in the here and now. And, and to remember that, that heaven is our home um, will transform us so much for the here and now. Right? As we're making decisions, why? Well, man, I'm not going to do this because I, I, love, I, love I love the longing for heaven. I do. And um, I feel kind of lost when I don't have that taste of it. I know I'm kind of speaking very personally right now, but um, I don't know if you guys have experienced this. I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm trying to explain it because I, I, think, I think if you're a Christian, you've had this. And, and there's times when you're like, man, I just, um, I miss longing for heaven. And I have those times when I, I, I dwell so much in just... <laughs> Um, my man-centered gospel again of like <laughs> trying to follow just rules or, or these things and not realizing, man, I'm in partnership with God himself and, and to obey him, that third step that we find here in the beginning of 1 Peter that makes them foreigners, right? That makes them foreigners is the third and final step is, is this. Because why? Because they're obeying. <laughs> why? Because they've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And when I'm not obeying, I feel so dirty, <laughs> Honestly, and, and it affects me so much how I live and, and the way I love other people. Um, the way I care with the way Jesus cared, right? And so I'll challenge you with each of these steps. That, that First, I, I encourage you, as it says in, in 1 Corinthians, it says, make your calling and election sure. And what that means is, is go to God and say, oh God, I, just, I long to know you and, and, and be near you and, and just realizing and thanking him that the Holy Spirit is what put that longing in you and, and really interacting on that level, saying, God, thank you. I just, thank you for the desire to be holy. And then letting that work out in your life in a way that we are practicing obedience, right? And daily, there's a sense here in 1 Peter of the daily being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Right? That daily, whatever's going on, you're saying, God, I want to be cleansed by you. And so I can, I can act so differently in my life than the way I would act if I was just following my own man-centered leanings. So, um, so you guys can say, like the song, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And, and I know that will transform us as a church. It will allow us to be so much, um, so much more invested even in the community um, if we're a people that, that are being transformed because we know that this isn't our final home. So pray with me and then we can sing together. Father, God, I pray that, that this will give us the sense together that you are a God who, um, as it says in, in the Bible, can do whatever you please with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth, and no one can hold back your hand, that you're so mighty, and yet you're so compassionate. God, and as a people, we can, we can be in worshiping you, not as a God who's just merely waiting to do what we please, but a God who does what he pleases. And, 
and that we can respond in worship and obedience. God, I pray that you'll just give us a greater understanding of your word, um, what you've left for us to understand you by. God, and I pray that that everyone today will hear the call to come, (laughs) to come and to worship you who are worthy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.